Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, what do the George Floyd protests mean for America? Eight minutes and 46 seconds. That is how long a white police officer kept George Floyd pinned down under his knee. Eight minutes and 46 seconds is the length of time it took for George Floyd to die. And we have watched all eight minutes and 46 seconds of it. The internet is flooded with that devastating footage from the 25th of May. All four police officers involved have now been charged in relation to that killing. But could those eight minutes and 46 seconds have even longer lasting effects? Could George Floyd be more than just another name, another black man killed at police hands? The US has reacted furiously and the rest of the world has followed. Protests, solidarity marches, petitions, statements of condemnation. We know the world is battling COVID-19 right now, but we're also fighting another virus, racism. And it's hard to get away from the fact that the epicenter of this virus right now is a democracy that is due to hold a presidential election within months. So to look at what's been happening and what all of this means for America ahead of that November vote, I'm joined today on The Explainer by Stephen McDermott, who will run us through the events of the past week, and Len Birkins, who is the founder and publisher of Q-City Metro, a publication aimed at the African-American community in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're both very welcome. Stephen, I'm just going to turn to you. As I said, we're going to ask you to run through the events of the past week and a half. Can you start off with George Floyd's killing? Um, what exactly happened? Yeah, so George Floyd is a um, 46-year-old uh, African-American man who uh, that Monday went to into Minneapolis and went to buy cigarettes. So he was with two other people in a car. He got out of the car. He went to uh, a kind of a corner store, uh, bought a packet of cigarettes with a $20 bill, left the store and went to sit in his car with his two sort of companions. At one point, the people who were working in the store came across the road and uh, knocked on his window and said, uh, that $20 bill you uh, paid for those cigarettes with his counterfeit. And he said, no, it wasn't. They said, okay, well, give us back the cigarettes. He said, no. So there was a bit of a disagreement. Um, and eventually the police arrived. So the police uh, took George out of the car um, and they brought him over to uh, kind of cross back over to where the kind of corner store is and um, sort of pinned him against the wall and searched him and then brought him into the police cruiser. Now, at one point, uh, they took him out again and lay him on the ground. So two officers had him held down from below the torso and a, a third officer who we now know is a man called Derek Chavan uh, had his knee on George's neck. Um, you know, you mentioned your intro, you just kind of lean, or kneeling there for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Now, we've seen some video footage, I say we, I mean the world has seen some video footage of, you know, moments leading up to the end of, of this sort of encounter. So there's one angle, you know, uh, which is kind of looking at the back of the cruiser, which shows George conscious and saying, I can't breathe and uh, calling out for his mother and asking him, you know, to be just to, you know, uh, you know, be able to let him breathe. But there's another angle, which I think is a more widely seen video of um, a passerby kind of uh, uh, recording the police officer who's kneeling on George's neck. And in this one, he's pretty much out cold. At one point, someone says his, he's bleeding from his nose, he can't breathe. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's passes by that are raising sort of serious concerns for his welfare and the officers don't really seem to, you know, care. Um, they don't be, seem to be paying attention uh, 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 um, to the passes by. At one stage, actually, the officer who's kneeling on George's neck sort of, you know, lifts up. I can't tell whether it's like a, 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 a gun or another kind of non-fatal weapon, but kind of points it at the person who's recording. It's really, really, really jarring footage. Um, I anyone who's 
you know hasn't seen it you mentioned your intro might as soon as i finish listening to this like go and watch it because like it's actually hard to describe in words the, the sort of power of, of what you're seeing real nonchalant attitudes you know kind of towards what's going on among the officers and contrast that with the concerns of, of the people who are uh, 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 you know passing by and recording and stuff anyway eventually emergency services do arrive um you know while the police are still there and uh, you know they get up and they give the police give information about what's happened george is by now unconscious um supposedly there's kind of some wrong information given and there's a delay and eventually he's brought to hospital and he's pronounced dead upon arrival yeah um we mentioned there some of the video footage the new york times have put together a timeline of exactly what happened um in the minutes from when um george was uh brought into police custody um and when he died and it's it pieces together as you say some of those cavalier attitudes that are very obvious uh, contrasted with the compassion that some people on the sidewalk um in the city are are showing him the footage obviously that those people were taking because that's one of the hallmarks of um some of this pol- police brutality we've seen over the years in America is that most of it has been filmed um it got uploaded online is that the is that what sparked the protests that have been taking place since um essentially yeah like i mean like as i said like it's kind of the, the sort of almost callousness or like you said cavalier attitude of the police within it but it's it's also like again we go back to look at a timeline so george died on the monday the footage sort of went online monday you know night into tuesday then it started going viral um, and people in minneapolis came out and started protesting against police brutality um you know then later in the week obviously you know you know people in new york people in los angeles people in philadelphia also and they started protesting as well and then it became sort of a global thing you know we've had protests since then in in, in dublin and london and you know amsterdam other european cities um all as part of this resurgence of you know the black lives matter movement now which is the movement that was founded and to draw attention to kind of systemic racism and police brutality and all that after another young black man trayvon martin was killed in florida um so it's it's, it's kind of depressing in the sense that it's actually more of the same yeah, at the start of those protests, one of the things that um, people out out uh, demonstrating and, and marching was that they wanted action to be taken against the police. Um, what has happened in, in the time since? What action has been taken against the officers involved? Uh, well, initially, I think it was, as I said, I mentioned it was kind of Tuesday that the protest started. Initially, uh, almost kind of nothing. I mean, like in, in, you know, in comparison for, or in, in terms of rather accountability, I mean, the police officers were fired um, on the Wednesday, as far as I know, but there was no charges brought against them or, or, or you know, that I think that um, the mayor of Minneapolis or that, um, said that, the, you know, there's going to be an FBI investigation, but like, other, other than that, it was kind of just like the police officers were fired and that was it. Now, since then, uh, Derek Chavan, who's the, the officer who had his knee on George's neck, he'd initially been charged with third degree murder. Um, you know, the other night he was then upgraded to second degree murder. Um, and the three other officers have on Wednesday night were charged with uh, aiding and abetting second degree murder, which is what uh, Derek Chavan has, you know, uh, currently been charged with. Um, so it kind of took some time. As I said, it was it's kind of a, a slow burn in terms of accountability. Yeah, one of the, the pieces of evidence that will be used is the autopsy, which will show what George Floyd died with. What do we know from the autopsy that has been carried out? It's interesting. There's actually been two autopsies carried out. So one kind of like an official um, uh, sort of administrative level by the Hennepin County coroner, which is the county where Minneapolis is. Um, that one said that uh, George died uh, due, due to asphyxiation or a kind of suffocation in uh, common parlance. Um, but 
notable it's nor notably it said that that happened while he was being restrained um but the family of George Floyd also commissioned their own autopsy as well and that actually found the exact same thing it was asphyxiation while being restrained so it wasn't just like you know he, he, he um you know suffocated off his own but like there was a clear um clear kind of um evidence pointing to uh the, the culpability of the police officers involved here yeah and you mentioned Trayvon Martin and the the beginning of uh the Black Lives Matter movement because obviously this isn't the first instance of Bruce, police brutality in the US. Um, and it's also not the only one in the last few weeks. Um, can you take us through the other high profile cases that we have been hearing a little bit more about because of George Floyd? Yeah, well, uh, there's one that kind of um, um, wasn't so much kind of a, a police brutality, but kind of just um, a, for want of a better phrase, like a, a, a domestic or a personal incident, which is Ahmed Arbery, who's uh, out jogging and was videoed being shot by, you know, uh, uh, two uh, white men, a father and a son. Um, that, that kind of occurred, like, you know, maybe a um, month or two ago. Um, but, like, in March, there was a woman called Brianna Taylor who uh, was living in uh, Kentucky. Um, police uh, stormed into her house and uh, shot her dead. Um, there was kind of a gunfight there, you know, uh, uh, between her, you know, her boyfriend and police, but she ended up uh, dying. Um, but like this goes way back. I mean, that that George Floyd killing is interesting, and again, like I use that word depressing because it's it's such a sense of familiarity about it. Like it's not even the first killing of a black man at the hands of pol- uh, police. Um, you know, where someone has complained that they can't breathe. There's a man called Eric Garner who. Uh, really coincidentally was uh, accused of selling um counterfeit cigarettes um kind of just on, on the street you know sell, selling single cigarettes to people and he was restrained by police in kind of like a chokehold and he himself was recorded saying i can't breathe and later died and um, you know there's the 12 year old boy with an airsoft gun called tamir rice in ohio in 2014 who also died at the hands of police and um, there's a man called michael brown that sparked huge um protests in uh, ferguson missouri also in 2014 after he died by police or that he, that he died at the hands of police but like i mean you know the, the idea that this is kind of you know something to do with modern technology and people have mobile phones and are able to record like it's it's not even that modern a phenomenon like you go back to 1991 which is a, the kind of uh, famous or infamous la riots occurred when a man called rodney king was uh, you know filmed being uh, essentially beaten up by police in in los angeles you know uh, uh, so like i say like this is not you know a, a phenomenon that's just occurred in our generation because there's mobile phones around i mean this has been going on for years and years and years I mentioned um, at the beginning of this podcast as well that one of the the backdrops to this and a really important backdrop is that there is a presidential election um, going to be held by the end of the year in the US. Um, what has President Donald Trump's reaction to these protests been? Um, I guess <laughs> the easy way to put it is that he's most certainly been stoking the flames. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's said he's you know kind of praise George Floyd's family, but he's called everyone who's demonstrating thugs. He's blaming it on uh, uh, the uh, uh, left-wing agitators. He's threatened, you know, to, um, he sent in the National Guard to Minneapolis initially, and then loads and loads more states. Um, there was a really kind of key visual moment again on Monday night. He was giving an address at the White House, and as he was giving his address in the Rose Guard, you could hear kind of clashes in the street outside and tear gas going off. And then it later transpired that protesters had been you know, uh, move from outside the front of the White House. Um, you know, he Trump himself would deny this, but he was that he was going over to to 
essentially stage a photo opportunity outside a church called St. John's Church, which is known as President's Church, opposite the White House with a Bible. So he's he's kind of going for this real, like, kind of uh, 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 religious image. And you mentioned kind of in the context of the US election as well, you know, this is what people have been saying, that he's trying to appeal to his base, which is kind of, you know, uh, uh, white, uh, white Christian voters, you know, a uh, uh, president against all of these left-wing um, demonstrators. Um, and just to bring it to Ireland before we move to, to Glen, um, we have seen protests in Ireland over, over the last um, few days um, in relation to Black Lives Matter as well. Yeah, kind of like almost echoing the nature of the global protests themselves, you know, kind of group of very small things. So there's a couple of dozen people out in, in, in Dublin on Sunday, one at the US ambassador's residence in uh, in the Phoenix Park there and another in, um, at the US embassy in Balls Bridge. You know, I mean, like I say, it was literally a handful of people with signs, you know, we've seen um, pictures on social media. It's all kind of like, you know, distant. It's like, you know, I mean, you know, you could probably have these, you know, people fitting in, into one room and they'd be socially distant, you know. Um, but then there was a big protest on Monday. I think this one very, very much exceeded the uh, expectations of, 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 of uh, both the organisers and uh, and Gardaí. So there's a protest organised for sort of 3pm to aspire to be a walk to the US Embassy and thousands of people showed up. I mean, there's been criticism since, you know, people saying, you know, you know, is it socially distanced and, 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 and uh, you know, does it fly in the face of the COVID-19 restrictions, which, you know, we're not going to get into here, but it just is amazing to see that that like I say like you've gone from a few dozen protesters on one on Sunday rather than to you know a few thousand then on Monday. Thanks Stevie and at this point I'm just going to bring in Glenn Birkins um, who's in as I said at the start who's in Charlotte North Carolina um, in the USA. Glenn can you tell me we've just been talking there about the um, Black Lives Movement can you tell me how these latest protests might compare or do compare to the previous protests um, that you've witnessed in America? There is definitely something different about the protests that we're seeing now. In fact, I would say that these are the most substantial uh, civil actions that I've seen in the United States since the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s when I was just a boy. Uh, we've, had, uh, we've had protests around various police killings and various incidents. Uh, one that comes to mind was the acquittal of the white police officers who beat Rodney King in Los Angeles. There was a lot of civil unrest around that. That did not, uh, that did not get the footing that this appears to be getting. That one did not capture the attention of America the way this one has. And I think part of the reason for that is that if you saw that video of the officer with his knee on the neck of, uh, of uh, George Boyd, you can't look at that and not recognize that this is wrong. And black Americans have been saying for decades that these things are happening to us. These things are happening in our communities. But it really wasn't until the advent of the cell phone that uh, when we were able to actually cap capture these things uh, on video, that people started to pay attention. So uh, getting back to your initial question, uh, I've not witnessed in recent years, not just since Trevon Martin, but going back to the 60s and 70s, I've not, I've not witnessed anything similar to what we're seeing now. 
Yeah, I think when you mentioned the the video there and myself and Stevie talked about it earlier too, there's something life-changing about it even as a white person watching in Ireland. There's something quite life-changing about those eight minutes or nine minutes that that you can watch. Do you believe that they that this they could be those nine minutes, the last nine minutes of George Floyd's life could be could have long lasting effects in America? That's a very difficult question. It's difficult at this stage while we're still experiencing this to guess what the long term implications will be. Uh, some very smart people think this is just a season that uh, in three to four or five weeks, we'll all go back to where we were before and nothing will have changed. There are other people who believe that this will and and that this must change America and its policing tactics in some fundamental ways. I think only time will tell. Uh, if you're asking me what I think, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think it will raise awareness. One of the things I'm seeing here is I'm seeing more white Americans out on the streets protesting than I've ever seen before, uh, you know, by, by magnitudes. Typically at, with these types of things, they're primarily black Americans with just a smattering of white citizens. This is different. Uh, there are some protests where the majority of the people have been, uh, have been white. Uh, there, uh, so I think, I think this has captured the nation's attention in a way that some of the past protests haven't. But right now, it's difficult to actually uh, say what the lasting impact will be. What has the protesting in your own area been like? What have you witnessed yourself? It has uh, run the gamut. It has uh, ranged from very, very peaceful rallies in parks where people, where uh, speakers spoke, and then there were peaceful marches through the streets of Charlotte to uh, violent confrontation with police officers who, uh, who shot f f uh, rubber bullets and flashbangs and uh, chemicals to disperse the crowd. Uh, we've seen uh, isolated We've seen isolated incidents of looting and damage, property damage, but that has not been, that has been the exception. That hasn't been the rule. The majority of the people who are out there protesting uh, are not out there to create chaos. They're there demanding change uh, and change that is long overdue. Are there different groups within the, the protesters or are they all using the Black Lives Matter um, umbrella? There are absolutely different groups. Uh, there are different groups and there are different protests. Sometimes uh, here in Charlotte, we've had different different protests or different rallies going on at the same time by different groups and their compositions are, are different. Uh, I think Black Lives Matter is a just kind of a umbrella catchphrase. You'll see people in all or in all of these uh, gatherings with signs saying Black Lives Matter. Uh, but uh, we've had everyone from the NAACP to local clergy to, uh, you know, just ordinary citizens uh, organize and attend uh, various protests and rallies here in Charlotte. 
And I think and I think the same is true for for other cities around the country. From where from your viewpoint and what you're seeing in, in Charlotte, what's the main message being sent? And by that, I mean, is it a is, is it about getting the police officers charged and actually not acquitted this time? Or is it bigger than that? Oh, it's way bigger than that. Um, it's, it's way bigger than that. Yes, uh, they are demanding, we are demanding uh, justice for George Floyd. But uh, this is not about one man's death. This is a really about 400 years of systemic racism on this continent. Uh, ever since the first slaves were brought over from Africa, the first black people or enslaved people were brought over from Africa long before America was a country. Uh, it is about a system of laws. It is about a system of uh, economic and social injustice uh, that deny the humanity of some people while elevating the rights and humanities of other. Uh, so uh, yes, this was triggered by uh, the death of one man and we want and we're demanding justice in that case, but no one uh, in Ireland or anywhere else in the world should think this is about the death of one man. This is about bringing about long overdue systemic change. Yeah, and, and speaking of that kind of more universal experience um, of the black person, we have uh, someone writing for us in the journal this week um, who said that the image of the knee on the neck resonated so well with her as a black Irish woman because sometimes she can't breathe because of the racism that she endures every day. Um, and that's one of the, the slogans that we're seeing a lot, I can't breathe. Um, can you talk us through the meaning, the ideas behind that message? Well, that, uh, that, that message actually started with the killing of Eric Garner in New York. He was a black man who was approached by police uh, allegedly for something as simple as selling cigarettes outside of a, outside of a convenience store. The officer put him in a chokehold. He said numerous times, I can't breathe. And he died. And that uh, message has taken on a life of its own. Uh, it simply means that uh, in addition to what it literally means, uh, it has come to symbolize kind of the suffocating nature of racism in America, uh, that we're not allowed to reach our full potential, where uh, there are systems, as I said, there are systems in place, social systems, political systems, economic systems that are in place that, that, do, that don't allow us to breathe and uh, reach our full potential as humans in this country and as, and as citizens. It's probably something you see on a daily basis through your work as well. Um, I mentioned in the introduction that your publication is aimed at the African-American community in your city. Uh, yes, I see it in my work. I see it in my life. Um, you know, in some ways you see it and you don't see it. Because when you have lived in a system for a long time, then it, it, it almost becomes like the air you breathe. It's there, but you don't take notice of it until it's not there anymore. Uh, so uh, yes, uh, 
it plays out in life in ways large and small. Uh, but it's all but it's also so invisible yet so pernicious that uh, it's easy to overlook. The George Floyd incident, had he not died, would have been a normal incident, someone being held like that. The extraordinariness of it came from the reaction rather than that it had happened. Would that be correct to say? I would say that it is both. Uh, had he not died, we certainly would not see people protesting in major cities across America. But even had he not died, I think it still would have been a news story. It would have had a very short shelf life, a day or two, and we probably would have moved on to something else. But any way you look at it, that was a very graphic video. Uh, and um, so I think it's I think it's some of both. I just want to bring in uh, the Trump factor here as well. Um because Trump's reaction has obviously had an impact as well on the protests. Um, what has the response to his reaction been? And has he really stoked the the protests and given them more power in some ways? I'm not sure I would say that he has given the protests more power. Uh, I think I think most black Americans have learned to uh, largely ignore President Trump. Uh, after three years, we know who he is. We know what he's going to do. We know what he's going to say. So nothing he does or says really surprises us anymore. Uh, he's certainly not helping the situation. A retired four-star general uh, who used to be in the Trump administration said yesterday that he is the first president of the United States that he can recall in his lifetime who has not even attempted to unite the country, that uh, he has set about to divide rather than to unite. And he said, what we're seeing now from the White House is three years of, uh, of, three years of, of an administration that lacked adult leadership. And I think he's right. Uh, so getting back to your getting back to your question, I don't think he's really an impact on on these demonstrations or these protests. Uh, I think we have learned to largely uh, ignore his tweets, uh, ignore his cat calls and his and his veiled uh, racial messaging. Uh, and this this is about Trump. This um, this is about this is not about Trump. This problem existed before Donald Trump was in the White House. He has not done anything to make it better. And if we're not careful, it will exist long after he's gone. That is what you're seeing people protesting. We're not we're not concerned about the current occupant of the White House. Will there be concern about if he's the, still the occupant after um, January 2021, will will the protests have an impact on the November election? I know I'm asking you to have a crystal ball again, but from your viewpoint, where you are in, in the US right now? I think it has the potential. November is still a long way off. A lot of things can happen between now and November. Uh, in 2016, we saw a lot of dirty tricks. We saw Russian interference. We saw efforts in various states to to suppress the black vote. So a lot of things can happen between now and then. Um, 
our economy because of coronavirus is in a very uh, precarious state. But I think um, I think this probably will spark more black voters to get out and actually cast ballots. I think it probably will spark some white voters to rethink uh, how they have uh, interacted with our political system, with our economic system. I think it has the potential to be the defining issue in November. But once again, that's a, November's a long way off. And, and in American politics, a lot can happen between now and then. And as you mentioned earlier, there's other things at play here as well, other than just who's in the White House. There's police behavior. Um, what sort of impact could the, the protests have on how police interact with uh, citizens and res- residents in the US? Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about funding. Um, can you talk us through what some of the requests and asks of the protesters are? Well, I don't, I think, I think at this point, uh, the protests are basically driven by anger and demands for broad change. They have not moved to specifics yet. I talked with a North Carolina lawmaker, a a, a member of the uh, US Congress last night. She mentioned that the the Congressional Black Caucus and some other lawmakers in Washington are drafting legislation uh, among other things, it would establish a national registry to track cases of police misconduct. Uh, she talked about uh, laws that would ban chokeholds, the use of tear gas, uh, various things, uh, uh, more, more, uh, more aggressive uh, updates to our civil rights laws. Uh, but but these things face an uphill battle, given that our Senate is controlled by Republicans and the White House is is, of course, controlled by uh, Donald Trump, who is a Republican. So uh, I think uh, depending on the outcome in November, uh, if we see the Senate switch to Democrats, if we see a Democrat in the White House, I think there stands a chance that we could see some very real legislative changes. The other thing that I would say, however, is that we have already seen police departments across the nation begin to act to address the concerns that have been raised by the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, We still have a long way to go, but when this started, there was there was very little real accountability uh, on the part of uh, police departments nationwide. And there is still to some degree, to a large degree, not a lot of accountability. But I would not be honest if I said nothing had changed since uh, Trayvon Martin or even uh, uh, or even Rodney King. We are seeing police departments engage more with black communities. We are seeing uh, police departments attempt to have better rapport and to do a better job of policing themselves. Unfortunately, it only takes one rogue cop like we saw 
to set that whole thing back. Uh, and um, we've got to figure out how to deal with that. And we've got to figure out how to bring justice when these incidents do happen. There was something I wanted to ask you about earlier when you, you brought up some of the things that um, police and authorities use in the US, which we wouldn't be familiar with here. If you could just explain to, to our listeners, when you say flashbangs were used on, on some of the protesters, particularly outside the White House, um, what are flashbangs? It's like a very giant, it's like a big giant explosive. It makes a lot of light, it generates heat, and it makes a lot of noise. And it's, and it's used to scare and stun uh, individuals or groups. Uh, police often use them during, uh, uh, during hostage situations or uh, SWAT teams use them when they have to catch someone by surprise. They might deploy a flashbang to disorient and confuse the person uh, to give themselves an advantage at that point, to give themselves a tactical advantage. How are you, how do you feel at the moment when you're during the protests as you're in Charlotte when the protests are happening? Well, I'm a journalist, uh, so I, I have to view what's going on to some degree through the lens of my job. Uh, I'm sure, but I'm also a black man. And so I can't ignore what is happening. Uh, but I, I've not really had time to sit down and think about it the, the way I might if I weren't so busy trying to provide information to our readers. Um, perhaps when this is over and I have time to reflect, uh, I will think more about it, but right now I'm just kind of in I'm just kind of in work mode, going basically sun up to sundown, trying to provide as much information as as I can. Thank you for listening to the Explainer, and a big thank you to Stevie and Len for joining and for all of their work on this episode. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal over the past few weeks for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fall drastically, but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. If you feel it's important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. And if you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find loads of shows on the coronavirus and much more. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Eva Barry and tech operator and editor Laura Byrne. If you're enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with a friend who you think will enjoy them as well. Thank you and catch you next time. <laughs>